The judge in the Brian Koberger case does some house cleaning. Detectives investigating the John Benet Ramsey case are going to try familial DNA. If you're going to use your boss's money to bail people out, you better get their permission. What is the story behind the missing woman that led to the discovery of Suzanne Morphew? An example of you can't make this stuff up. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day, a wedding crasher. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. If you've been following us all week, you know that, well, I've been cruising the Mediterranean. We just left Cannes, France. We're able to jump over to Monte Carlo for the day. That was uh, very exciting. And now we are on our way, I guess, Con. Did I say it right? Con. Uh, we are on our way to Rome. And I'm going to fly back Wednesday, and I'll be back in the Crime Talk studios on Thursday. So no show tomorrow or Wednesday, more than likely. But hey, you know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment. Hit that bell. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. As a pet owner, you want to give your furry friend the very best. That's why baked in Colorado CBD infused dog treats are the perfect choice. These delicious treats not only taste great, but they also provide a wide range of health benefits for your pet. CBD has been shown to have many positive effects on dogs, including reducing anxiety, alleviating pain and inflammation, and improving overall wellness. Baked in Colorado's treats are infused with premium, full-spectrum CBD oil, meaning your pet will benefit from the whole plant extract. Not only that, but Baked in Colorado's treats are made with all-natural human-grade ingredients so you can feel good about what you're giving your pet. They're also free from wheat, corn, and soy, making them a great option for dogs with food sensitivities. Baked in Colorado CBD-infused dog treats are the perfect way to support your pet's health and well-being. With various flavors, including peanut butter, pumpkin, and bacon, your dog will love them too. So why wait? Head to www.bakedincolorado.com today and order your dog a bag of these delicious and nutritious treats. Your pet will thank you for it. First on the docket, Brian Koberger. The judge does some house cleaning matters. So... As you may recall, remember the defense attorneys for Brian Koberger said, hey, judge, exclude 37 days of speedy trial time so that we can determine if there were irregularities in the jury selection process. The judge gave him 37 days. The prosecution objected. And then guess what? Brian Koberger waived his right to a speedy trial. So really, the matter is moot. But any good judge, particularly on a death penalty case, is going to clean up the uh, record to make it nice and clear. So what did he do? He issued an order denying defendant's motion to stay proceedings and withdraw the order staying the time for speedy trial. It's moot. It doesn't matter. It's not up for argument anymore. Therefore, it is moot. And so that 37 days doesn't matter because Brian Koberger waived his right to speedy trial. Next on the docket... The detectives investigated the John Benet Ramsey case. You remember that case, old John Benet? Yes, been a long time now. Well, they are attempting to use familial DNA technology to find the killer, but they do not believe the suspect will be a member of the family. Remember, they cleared everyone in the Ramsey family of any alleged wrongdoing. So hopefully they can find who is actually responsible. So apparently the Boulder Police Department has submitted 
some previously untested evidence for DNA testing. And if a DNA profile can be generated, investigators intend to compare it to DNA data compiled by genetic testing. Remember, a lot of police agencies, just like in the Koberger matter, when they can't find a hit in CODIS, which is where everybody goes that has a felony conviction, and they compare it to those known DNA samples of convicted felons, now they're going to this genetic DNA to see where it may land them. I say, go for it. What have you got to lose? Everyone would like to have this case resolved one way or the other. As you may recall, this case dates back to December 26th of 1996, when John Bonet was found deceased in the basement of her family's home in Boulder, Colorado. Her mother, Patsy Ramsey, reported her missing after finding uh, what is said to be a ransom note seeking $118,000, which just happened to be the exact same amount that her husband's bonus was that year. And ultimately, the autopsy found that the uh, young John Bonet, who was six at the time, died by strangulation and had an eight and a half inch skull fracture. Needless to say, not natural causes. No one has ever been convicted uh, with the killing. Uh, the grand jury at one point wanted to indict the Ramsey parents, but the DA did not move forward. So obviously we'll give everyone the presumption of innocence in this particular case, and we'll just have to wait and see where that comes about. Next on the docket, if you're going to use your boss's money to bail out your friends, you should probably get the boss's permission. That's right. So police in Indiana are investigating a scheme where multiple restaurant employees allegedly use stolen money to bail out inmates from jail. Now, the LaPorte County Sheriff's Office said that employees from a Hardee's restaurant stole money um, from customers to bail out the inmates. Now, according to the sheriff's office, jail staff noticed last month that a suspiciously large amount of funds were being placed in the accounts of inmates at the county jail from a source outside the jail. The same inmates were reportedly bonding out of the jail almost immediately and leaving the remaining balance on a jail-issued debit card. This led to an investigation where officials discovered a fraud scheme involving multiple employees from a Hardee's restaurant in Michigan City as well as several other locations. Police did not provide the address of the restaurant, but it apparently the uh, it was a Hardee's restaurant located in Michigan City, apparently um, on Franklin Street. So if you know about that, yeah, they've been stealing the money. Anyway, uh, officials say the Hardee's employees uh, involved took photos of customers' debit and credit cards that paid in the drive-thru and were fraudulently using those cards to place money into inmates' accounts that had low bails set. The inmates would then bought out of jail, take the jail-issued debit card with them for a few extra bucks in their pocket, and then withdraw the remaining money from the debit account. Deputies said that a total of nearly $15,000 was fraudulently charged, and the victims are working with financial institutions to get their money back. There are apparently 10 suspects that are facing some felony charges, including fraud, conspiracy to commit fraud, and criminal organized activity as a result of the investigation. Their names are Darren Ward, Prince Arnold, Kristen Vashadok, Madison Zook, Anderson Higabotham, Holly Lepchel, Carissa Beeler, Lawrence Armstrong, Moesha, Monique, Savannah Payne, and Dylan Scott. And they're apparently 
Mr. Uh, Dylan Scott is the only suspect who has not yet been arrested. If you think you've been the fraud, call the Michigan Crime Stoppers at 800-342-7867. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone is out there trying to scam you. Be careful. Next on the docket, what is the story regarding the missing woman that led to the discovery of Suzanne Morphew? So the family of the missing Colorado woman uh, shared some strange circumstances surrounding her disappearance, which gained more attention since the discovery of, obviously, the discovery of Suzanne Morphew. Now, the woman, Edna Quintana, she was 56 years old, and she had been missing from Colorado since May 3rd, and police were searching for her when they found the remains of the 49-year-old mother of two. And they also found Morphew, who disappeared on Mother's Day, of 2020. On that day that Quintana vanished, she apparently had been hiking with a male companion with whom she had been dating sporadically. Over the course of a few years, he later explained how she couldn't keep up the pace and, well, decided to return to their car. When he returned to the vehicle later in the day, Edna was missing, but her purse and cell phone were still with him. Edna was not reported missing for another three days when family members raised the alarm bells. Now, Quintana's cousin, a woman by the name of Augustine Edwards, found it suspicious that Edna, who was not an avid hiker, would go missing on a hike without telling anybody that she was actually going on a hike. Apparently, the red flag for the family is that she's, like I said, not a hiker, she wasn't a fisherman, and she wasn't really even an outdoorsy types of person. Her cousin described Edna as a kind and humble person who would never have left her children or disappear without a reason. Now, Edna was a fifth-generation family native to Saguchi, Colorado, uh, following her disappearance, and her loved one said that uh, she'd been kind of hanging out with the wrong crowd, uh, but everyone said she was a good person indeed. Now, Edwards hopes that the increased media coverage will encourage someone to come forward with information about Edna's whereabouts. No information on the man that she was hiking with, but apparently the man that uh, she went hiking with has not been listed as a suspect, according to Edna's family. Edna's family highlighted a disparity in media coverage, given that high-profile cases involving other individuals had also generated far more attention. She says, I don't know what makes a case newsworthy, and I don't, but Lacey Peterson in 2000 got national attention. Suzanne Morphew got national attention. But here's a Hispanic female from a poor community that gets zero attention. Needless to say, Edna's family doesn't believe that her case has received as much attention. I don't know. Can you let me know why? Is it because Edna is Hispanic from a poor community and Suzanne Morphew was a little more high profile case for whatever reasons? Let me know in the comments. Next, you can't make this stuff up. And you really can't, ladies and gentlemen. So, Please meet Joseph McDonald. Now, he was at home on Sunday with his alleged victim and another individual who would witness the crime uh, that they arrived in McDonald's home to smoke some pot. Well, according to police, McDonald allegedly let them into the house, but they weren't there to socialize with him. Instead, the victim, whose identity has not been released by the police as of today, was looking for McDonald's brother. 
Now, the witness reportedly told police an argument broke out when McDonald got upset because he was skipped over the smoke session and things escalated rather quickly. Now, when the police were initially called to the area, they thought there was a shooting, but quickly learned it was actually a stabbing. Officers located McDonald on Sunday, just a few hours after the 21-year-old victim emerged from McDonald's home with an obvious injury to his abdomen, and witnesses tried to help before calling 911, apparently. But when the victim was asked who was responsible for his injuries, he pointed back at the house, but was unable to provide a whole lot of detail. The victim was rushed to the hospital and did not survive. While McDonald had only lived in the residence for a couple of months before the incident and has been experiencing some mental health issues. Police confirmed that McDonald is being held without bond in the Valusa County Jail, where he faces the charge of first-degree murder because he wasn't included in passing the joint around. You can't make this stuff up, ladies and gentlemen. You can't make this stuff up. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. A wedding crasher. A 57-year-old woman was allegedly crashing weddings in three states and was finally arrested at a wedding in Mississippi. Now, the Sheriff's Department says that Sandra Lynn Henson is charged with petite larceny, trespassing, disturbing the peace in the state, and she's been accused of similar crimes in other jurisdictions. Now, the Sheriff's Department says that at the time of her arrest in the state, she was also wanted in Alabama. Apparently, allegedly, the department continues that she um, was previously been arrested in Alabama, Tennessee, and Mississippi for crashing weddings, stealing money and cards from purses, and in at least one case, she's pled guilty to that. But what Sandra would do is go around the room, she would go into the bridal room, and she would eat a piece of the bride's cake. Isn't that punishable by death? I think if you ask a bride, it's probably punishable by death. Well, needless to say, she's been arrested. Um, they discovered money was stolen, uh, and they contacted the police, and they finally took her down. The gateway crime, ladies and gentlemen. First, you're pilfering purses at weddings. Next thing you know, you're going to be robbing banks. Where does the madness stop? Where does the status stop? Well, congratulations there, Miss Sandra Lynn Henson. You are a dumb criminal of the day. Be proud of it. Own it. Let everybody know you're a thief and cannot be trusted. All right, that's all we have for you today. We'll see you back on Thursday. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for watching.